if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter number two. I'll ask you right up front if you could just ignore my voice. I, I'm, I'm dealing with a little bit of a chest cold this week, and I feel great, but it's just that I um, can't speak as well as I like to speak. And some of you are saying right now, well, that's not anything new. But uh, anyway, I'm trying to get this cleared up, but it's, it's, it's sort of a problem right now. Romans chapter 2, I, I want to hopefully uh, unpack some stuff that the Lord gave me this week and be able to help. Maybe I'm not going to be able to get through all of this today, and I understand that. And uh, we'll work through maybe some more next week. Uh, but I want to try to help us to understand maybe something that we never really discussed um, we have in sort of just passing terms. I think I have brought a sermon out of this several years ago, but it's not something that I deal with uh, in the thorough way I want to deal with it in the next couple of weeks. And so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 2, we'll pick it up in verse number 11. <clears throat> the Bible says, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also punish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves." Now watch what it does in verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. You pray with me and for me this morning. I'm going to preach on the subject this morning, the blessings. I'll tell you what I'm going to. I'll, I'll mention it a little bit later, okay? All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we love you. We are privileged to have what we have today, this incredible gift that you've given us. I pray that you would give us, Lord, the, uh, an understanding heart. Thank you for the, that the Bible's not silent on this issue. It doesn't give the detail that we'd like for it to give, but we do thank you that, Lord, the times that you mentioned this subject in the Bible, that um, it shows some incredible uh, results, and I pray you'd help us uh, that you would give your people the grace that we need to receive from the Word of God what we need today. And we'll give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can everyone hear me in the back? Do I need to be turned up just a little bit? My voice is probably not going to go much higher than this. So if you go to sleep, I'll wake you up afterwards and then uh, we'll go to lunch, all right? But I want to preach to you this subject, an amazing gift here that God, this, it's a phenomenon, I want to say this, it's a phenomenon uh, that the atheist and the evolutionist hate, and that is the, uh, the gift of conscience. Uh, this is a blessing from the Lord. It's a subject I, I mentioned in the prayer. It's a subject that I wish the Bible gave more detail about, uh, what it looks like, what it is. We know what it does. But, um, and we thank the Lord for it, but this word conscience, this subject conscience is amazing, amazing study. In fact, it's interesting that when you talk to an atheist, and an atheist will tell you something like, there are no moral absolutes. And of course you can say, are you absolutely sure? Uh, but uh, 
And then they'll say something like, they shouldn't do that. Well, why shouldn't they do that? So you do have a moral absolute or you do have a boundary that says to you that that's not right. In other words, in other words if you were today go, to go and, uh, and get in the middle of a, uh, a, a grocery store, a guy is starting to shoot people up and you shoot him and kill him, and the society would look at you and say you're a hero, right? But if you were to run over a whole litter of baby puppies, you know with me? That's not good, not cool to do that, right? You wouldn't do that. And you wouldn't want to do that purposely, right? But uh, then you're a villain. So even in the culture, there is this understated uh, moral code that they live by. And it's been like that all the way from the beginning of time. And I'm saying that because even the atheists, it's a stubborn fact that there's conscience. And when you begin to debate an atheist and ask them where... Does conscience come from? And that's an unanswerable question. But one very interesting thing that you can do with an atheist is move from morality back to the existence of God, meaning that there are morals in this world. Everyone has a line, and you can move whatever that line is, that's their conscience. Move it, take the Bible out, okay? The word, world has a conscience, and so... From that conscience, whatever that is, that light, that whatever gift that God gave to humanity, move that back to the existence of God. Not from the existence of God to morality, but from the fact that there is morals. Where do those come from? In other words, it's not good for you to kill. It's not good for you to do things that are contrary to the word of God and culturally speaking against a conscience. Is that making sense to you? And so this is a very difficult subject for the atheist because they don't know where it came from. Where does conscience come from? And, uh, and so when you walk through the book of Romans, to, um, I'm having you in chapter 2. Go back, if you would, quickly to chapter 1. When you walk through the book of Romans chapter 1, you'll see a continual disintegration of the cultural conscience. I'll say it that way. It's where the culture begins to lose its conscience. It begins to lose that gift that God gave them. And you'll find here in verse number 20, uh, uh, verse number 20, go to verse number 19 first. Because that which may be known of God (coughs) is manifest in them. What does that mean? God puts something in every human being that shows that he exists. Uh, and so it says here that God showed it to them. And it goes in verse 20 and says, For the invisible things of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his, his eternal power Godhead. So, so the world, the lost world, knows that there's something bigger than life. that transcends life. There's a God out there. Their conscience is showing them that. There's, they're, 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 even the, the heavens are declaring that. They're, the visible things of the world are clearly seen. And so when you start working through what is happening in a disintegrating culture and the conscience, it's clear that we have not, not, not only in the last few years, but the last several decades, a movement from a conscience that would be in agreement with the Word of God to a conscience that's now likely being seared or becoming evil. Uh, or becoming defiled. And so when you look th- work through this, I, I just want to help you. 29 times the word conscience is used uh, in the Bible. 
And there's a dangerous statement, and I think you probably would remember where it came from as soon as I say it. When you hear the word or phrase, let your conscience be your guide. How many have ever heard that? All right. How many have ever said, don't raise your hand. How many have ever said that? All right. Um, that, um, that's unfortunately wrong. It's, it's not, it's, it's, it's one of the da- most dangerous things that, that an individual could do is follow his or her conscience only. And, uh, and obviously you see that in even a, a whole nation. It's a dangerous statement. And Israel did uh, repeatedly uh, this very thing. In fact, it says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. What was every man doing in Israel? They're just doing what their conscience allowed them to do. And so because of that, they just did what was right. And if you would ask them, are you doing right? They would say, yes. We're just telling you what's right and what's wrong. And that is another whole argument that I'm going to talk about in just a little bit. But here is a culture, a nation, that is now moving from the belief in one true God to a belief in many multiple pagan gods. And they did that by doing that which was right in their own eyes. So something happened in the culture's conscience. Are you all with me so far? And so nations can mess this up and individuals can mess this up. In fact, you find in the Old Testament two boys, Nadab and Abihu, many examples of this. But Nadab and Abihu went into the temple uh, or and walked, and walked right in into the tabernacle and offered Strange fire to God. Now, if you were to talk to Nadab and Abihu right before they went in and said, what are you doing? We're going to go offer this fire to the Lord. I can smell alcohol in your breath. You're not even part of the priestly line. What are you doing this for? We feel this is right. All right. And they walked into the tabernacle and they offered that strange fire. And then fire came down from heaven and devoured both of them. Now, they were doing likely what they thought was good to do. But it was wrong. So countries, individuals, families, churches, groups can come under this unfortunate spell, I'll say it this way, of having the conscience moved or changed, and that is an unfortunate reality. It upsets. It upsets even everyone. Now think about this. Um, A conscience is not absolutely true. Based on everything in the Bible. In fact, uh, the conscience is not the word of God. That's why the conscience cannot be our guide. The word of God can be our, is our guide, is our final authority, but not our conscience. But our conscience should work with the word of God. It can work in concert with the word of God, but it's not, our conscience is not absolutely true. Well, I just feel that it's true. That doesn't make it true. Oh, I just had a good idea. That doesn't make it a scriptural idea. And so what is this thing called a conscience? Where does it come from? What does it do? Can it be trusted? Can it be damaged? And unfortunately, some people see their conscience as sort of a fun killer. Why do I have to think about what I'm doing as being wrong when I love it so much? It's a nagging, irritating voice that keeps them from having the fun that they want. It's like your mama's voice on you, hearing you, and Walt, what are you doing that for? It's that voice, it's inside. It's not necessarily the Holy Spirit of God. It's the conscience of man. 
It's a conscience that can speak up the most inappropriate times. It upsets our plans. It upsets our desires. It changes our course. In fact, you'll find in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 28, and as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And then it says this phrase here, to do those things which are not convenient. And so when someone is sinning, they're having to do that inconveniently. I don't know about you, I don't like to be inconvenienced. Amen? All right, it's like you behind someone that wants to clip all the coupons, and they're pulling all the coupons out, and you're in a hurry, and you're trying to get out the door, and they're bringing the coupon out, and they got to register that, and they start getting the exact change, and you're like, honey, let's go. Are you all here? Inconvenienced. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit of God works with the conscience of man, and that conscience of man does something to inconvenience because when someone lives a life of sin, they can't do it conveniently until they're given over to a reprobate mind. In some cases, you'll find that it prevents us even from being able to sleep at night when there's a conscience. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a conscience. It's a gift from God. It tells us our standing before God. And can give us an accurate, can give us an accurate standing before God. Am I right with God? Am I wrong with God? It's not always right. But I'm saying it can give us an indication where we are with the Word of God. When the conscience is agreeing with the Word of God. It was Sunday night, or yes, uh, uh, when, when Lynn came home, it was her birthday the next day. And she had been out in California uh, all week. It was Wednesday night. And I remember uh, we got home. Of course, we were in DEFCON 5 all week and all day trying to get the house back in order before she came back home. And so everyone was cleaning up, getting ready. And we realized about 9 o'clock at night, we had no water. The call again went, just went kaput again. And so we have absolutely no water in the house. So I said, I'll go in town. We were going to call Lynn to have her baby pick some up. Her and her mom and dad pick some water up on the way home. I said, no, she's been traveling all day. I said, I'll go up to Meyer and I'll get some water. And at that time, Elijah had one of those Charlie Brown looks on his face. He says, it's mom's birthday tomorrow, and I don't have a present for her. I said, why don't you hop in? Let's go find her a present. So we're walking up and down Meyer looking for a present. I did not know this, but I locked the keys in the black van. So here I go out there, and uh, I check the door, and it doesn't open. And, I, and Elijah says, well, unlock my door. So I go on his side. I said, Elijah, I think I, I think I locked the keys in the door. And I checked his door, and I checked the back door. And as every man does this, I checked my door again. I checked his door again. <laughs> he says, Dad, it's locked. I know, but I'm gonna, and the third time I went back just to make sure that I locked the keys in the car. He said, Dad, no, we, just heard a, we just heard a message on adversity from Marvin Smith. Here I am at 10 o'clock at night in the parking lot by myself under a, under a, under a street light, uh, parking lot light, and uh, I'm sitting, what am I going to do? Now, Lynn's on her way home. I got four gallons of water and Elijah. And a man pulls up in a car in front of us and just sits there. A lady gets out of the car. He's in the car. A, a child is in the back. I'm sitting against the car like, this is normal. This, this is weird, right? No one else in the parking lot but me, leaning against this black band with Elijah saying, what are we going to do, Dad? Lady gets out of the car. She walks in the mire, and he's sitting in the car. And I'm like, well, this is awkward. And, of course, the little kid in the back, he's got a little blue light on his face. And he's got a blue light on his face. And he gets out of the car, 
a car and uh, stands up, lights a cigarette. I said, well, I got to say something to this guy. Said, a little late for you to be shopping, isn't it? And he looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, I I door dash. Guys tatted all up and I talked to him. I said, listen, man, I said, I said, uh, we just got the whole door dash conversation for about two minutes. Back and forth, all great money, all that stuff. I said, everything about this, everything about what comes after this life. Now I'm leaning against one of those carousels. There's no one in the parking lot. Elijah's sitting there looking at that. And uh, I said, everything about what comes after life. He said, yeah, I think about it sometimes. I think when you die. He said, yeah, yeah, I do think about that. As he realized that the, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, I'm a Bible teacher, I said, but the Bible does provide a way for you to know for sure you're going to heaven. He says, sure, really? He said, well, I believe in God. I said, yeah, I know. I said, I mean, a lot of people believe in God. In fact, the Bible tells us that the devils believe and tremble, but the devils aren't going to heaven when, when eternity begins. It's not going to happen. He said, I never heard of that. I said, so just a belief in God will not get you to heaven. I said, you got to realize that you're a sinner. And without any word, I didn't even quote the Bible to this guy. I didn't go to Romans 3.10 yet, Romans 3.23, none of that. And he looked at me and says, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad sinner. Now, how does that guy know that? How, I, I, I didn't quote the Bible to him. I didn't share with anything, any truth to him. But he recognized that he was a sinner. Who did that? Holy Spirit, working with the conscience. I was able, by the way, to lead Reem to Christ that night. Accepted Christ as Savior. And got the phone number we're going to be working with him. But I'm saying tonight, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, today, is that there is inside the culture today, this nagging voice this voice that won't go away it won't let them sleep it it won't let them have their pleasure in sin conveniently until they're given over to a reprobate mind and it causes the uh, and prevents us from being able to have a joyful life that's why there's so many miserable people in the world because they're living in direct uh, disobedience to their own conscience. And most people would like to find a way to get rid of it. Most people like to just ignore the conscience. They sin and they don't want their conscience to tell them what to do. But how should a Christian view this? And let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. And, and I know my time is short here this morning. But number one, a conscience is a gift from God. If we could establish this real quick. That man was created in the image of God. And after that fall, God did something. We don't know when it was. But we know where it shows up when they saw themselves after the fall. That they were naked. And they covered. They put, they sewn fig leaves together. They were covering themselves. Who showed that to them? It was something that God did. Giving man a conscience of his standing before him. In fact, our text verse in Romans chapter 2 It says in verse 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, meaning they don't have the Bible, they weren't given the law, the Jews were, do by nature the things that are contained in the law, having not the law, are law unto themselves, which do show the work of the law written in their hearts. 
Ladies and gentlemen, every lost person today has God's moral law written in their hearts. They know they shouldn't kill. They know they shouldn't steal. They know they shouldn't lie. They know they should not commit adultery. It's written in their hearts. It's the moral law of God that God puts in there. That's the gift of God. And that is a blessing. And that's a knowledge of the divine law. Every man, even those that don't even know the positive ramifications of the law, have it in their hearts. And that's grace. That is a gift of God. It's God revealing his moral law, using the Holy Spirit to convict our conscience when we're living contrary to the law of God. Now, let me give you some interesting thoughts on this. I want to give you this, uh, this, this uh, for, for every Christian, the, the conscience can be a very valuable resource to you. A very valuable resource. And there's a way to damage that conscience. There's a way that you can destroy that conscience to where you don't know what is right and wrong outside of this word. And it's determining God's will in any situation, that conscience that Holy Spirit, the Word, working together. Number two, the conscience can be, I'm going to listen to my words here, the conscience can be or should be activated by truth. Okay, the conscience can be or should be activated by truth. Now, we, 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 we're at a whole other lesson here on how the conscience can be damaged but right now, please note that God uses the word of God to activate that conscience. Let me give you an example of this. Look, if you look, look in John chapter 8 quickly. <clears throat> John chapter number 8. This is a clear example of this, um, this amazing phenomenon that God does when truth <clears throat> is spoken. And in this case, truth is written. And something happens. Something happens that can't be explained. Now note here in John chapter 8, verse number 1. John chapter 7, you read that context. It was, a, it was a, 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 an amazing day in Jerusalem. We have a stirred up crowd. We have every man going to his own house in the last verse of chapter 7. And we've got, we got miracles being done in the temple. We've got the religious crowd is hyped up. They're, we, in the police department, we call it amped up. They are amped. They're upset. How did this happen? Are you believing him too? That kind of thing. We have a lot of conversations going on in Jerusalem when he comes here. And so everyone goes to bed sort of resting on what in the world just took place in the temple. Now I can't, I'm going to feed between, read between the lines here, but something happens between that evening and verse number one of chapter eight. Watch what it says. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Now note the two groups of people that are here. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. Now look at this last phrase here. In the very act... Now, the first question I ask of this text here is, where's the man? I would imply that if it was in the very act of adultery, then there would be a man. It takes two to tango, right? 
And so the man's not present here. Only the woman <clears throat> brings her in, throws her down in the midst of them. If she was caught in that very act, there's got to be someone else. And if they get the way they're, if they get what they want to get done, this woman's going to be dead in just a few minutes. Right? They're there to have this woman dead. They're there to accuse the Lord Jesus Christ. But this woman's life is in jeopardy. And she's sitting there in the midst of this scribes, the Pharisees, Jesus. So I would assume, based on the fact that the man's not there, this is what we say in New Jersey, that's a setup. Okay, so let me, give, let me fill it in. You ain't going to believe what happened tonight before, man. This is crazy. Jesus went in the temple. He healed. Even some of the, our people are believing he's, he might be Messiah. Well, we're going to do something about that. Let's go get Raphael. I'm going to name a name. Or Joe. Or Peter. Whatever. Go get that old harlot down there in the street. And let's bring her in the room. Let's catch him right in the very act. That'll do it. He can't wiggle out of this. We're going to find something to accuse him of. We'll bring charges against him. And we're going to kill him and her. Got it? That's not in the Bible. That's shepherd theology right there. Okay? But I think it's a setup. I think it's a setup. I think the man is nowhere to be found. Likely one of those own men. Maybe the, one of those scribes and Pharisees. I don't know that. But you'll find here that uh, when you get down to verse number 5. Now Moses, of course, they know the Bible. Now Moses and the law commanded us that. Such should be stoned, what sayest thou? All right. Now, right now, they're starting to operate under a perversion of the law. Now, again, they're going to have something happen to them that, that they're not used to. But now they're operating under a perversion of the law. Watch what it says. He says, they know the law. They said, the Bible says, the Moses law says, it commands us. And they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Now, there's your motive. We're going to take him out. Now, what are they talking about? Look, if you would, back in Leviticus, real quick. Leviticus, I'm going to show you something interesting. Leviticus chapter 20. <coughs> Leviticus chapter number 20. Pick it up in verse number 10. This is the law. This is what they're going to quote. Now, watch what it says in verse 10. Are you all there? They're quoting. Listen, this woman's here. She's weeping. She's no, likely her life is going to be ended in about three, four minutes. All Jesus has to do is say stoner. The man's not there. This is a setup. These men are using the Bible to push an agenda, right? Watch what it says in verse 10. Here's the law. Here's what they're misquoting. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife... Even he that committeth adultery with her, his neighbor's wife, the adulterer, and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So my question is, if she's caught in the very act, where's this man? All right? Because that man also would be guilty of being stoned right there. He's not there. This is a setup trying to accuse the Lord Jesus Christ. So can I say this? I think it's a very comfortable thing to say right here, that up to this point, we have no problem killing this woman to make a point. 
these people. They have no problem having her put to death to try to accuse the Lord Jesus Christ. This is perverted. This is messed up. They're misusing the law. They're misapplying the law. And they're clouded by some other flawed reasoning. And so can we put this principle here that partial disobedience is always disobedience. You can't just pick and choose what you want from the word of God, what you obey, what you won't obey. So they don't care what's right or wrong. They just want to find accusations against him. No mention of them being bothered in their conscience with this woman about to be killed. No problem at all. She's just a harlot. So their conscience at this point is not affected. And, and it's likely being fueled by, by their hatred for Christ. And their hatred for Christ trumps the lawful use of the word of God. You see how messed up this is? It's, it's, it's skewing everything in their mind, indicating that our own motives, our motives, can trump truth. I mean, if you want to do something, you're going to do it. And sometimes we go against the conscience that God gives us, even though we know better, but... Our desires are more important than truth. And we just squelch the conscience, forget the conscience, because after all, I want to do this. Very powerful emotion and the emotion of hate, the emotion of revenge. It's what they want. It clouds biblical reason. It can form a biased opinion. And so their hatred for a person can squelch their very love and application of truth. That's not important to them. I don't care. Listen, they just quoted the Bible to get what they want. But they misquoted the Bible, perverted the Bible, the word, the law, in order to push a false agenda. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. My wife said a statement to me a couple of years ago. She said this. She said, we should never let our deeply held religious beliefs stand in the way of truth. My wife quoted that. She should be an author somewhere. She's pretty good. So that's so true. Doesn't really matter what the Bible says or what our conscience says. I hate them. I don't want them. I don't care for them. Dangerous, isn't it? John chapter 8, verse number 6. Watch what he says, verse number 6. doesn't say anything. He just stoops down. He acts as if they're not even there. Verse number 6. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And said, well, pastor, what did he write? I don't know. <laughs> I would like to know what he wrote on that. I could give you my opinion. He might have written something like in verse number 10 of Leviticus. It says maybe uh, something like the adulteress shall be put to death. I don't know. And maybe finish the verse by going above it and saying the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. I don't know that because you'll find here in verse number seven. So they continuing asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin. I can see this. I can see this. I can see it. Listen, these are four pound rocks. These are not small little pebbles, right? Four pound, five pound rocks. He found one. 
And I got the picture. He that is without sin, cast the first stone. It doesn't stop there. And verse number eight. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. The very next verse shows something happened that wasn't there before. It says here, and they which heard it believed it's what, I believe it's what he wrote. I believe it's what he said. I believe it's the truth that he gave to them. They heard it. Now watch this. Verse 9, being convicted of their own what? Conscience. It wasn't there before. How'd that happen? Can I just say that? Truth just blew them away. Truth just spoke to them. And though they were going to murder this woman, they're going to give her over to men in the city to stone her, perverted the law, did the setup. The man's nowhere to be found, accusing her, uh, perverting scripture to get this thing done, hating the scripture. And as soon as Jesus says, he's, he is well sinned, cast the first stone, likely wrote the word of God on the ground. They looked up and said, yeah, like this. Now the conscience has been activated And I think we can make a good case here. It was activated by truth. Are y'all here today? And so, and then it goes on to say, and uh, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And so why do the older people leave first? The old story is because they had more sin. They said, I'm done. So looking at this woman, the woman's there in the middle. Ah. Yeah, I got a whole lot of baggage, personally. I think I'm going to go home, boys. (laughs) To the last. That's intense. Now listen, this is an intense scene in the Bible. You can imagine being there. This woman's there. Of course, he speaks to her. I'm not going to go there. But let's flip this. Let me just give you, a, let me give you a cultural flip. I've never done this ever in my preaching, ever. So I'm going to give you something to a new, new idea here. Watch this. If you flip this around, add about three years to this event right here. It's about A.D. 32. Go to about the A.D. 35. It's a different scene. But I'm going to quote something different to you, maybe, if... The conscience that now bothered them did not bother them or ignored the conscience. Watch this. Listen, when someone does something against their conscience, it's not like they don't know what's right and wrong. They just don't care anymore. Okay? Let me give you another quote here. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on her with their teeth. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon her with one accord. And cast her out of the city and stoned her. No, that's not in the Bible. I just, I just lifted a passage of scripture about three years from this event. Because that's what is coming. The scribes and the Pharisees didn't care about the woman. didn't care about right or wrong. 
They wanted her dead. They wanted him accused. They didn't care what they needed to do to get it done. And so just fast forward that a little bit and you find that very scene happening in Acts chapter number 7. Look there if you would. Acts chapter 7. I'm going somewhere, so just stay with me. We'll have the kids in here in just a little bit. Acts chapter 7. Uh, you'll find here in, uh, <coughs> in chapter 6. I'm not going to ask you to unpack all this, but Acts chapter 6. It says in verse number 11. And they, then they, you'll find the word stubborn men. It's men that can be paid off. Men that can be used to perjure or actually create, uh, create accusations. They get paid to make accusations. These are stubborn men. In verse number 11, this is verse chapter 6. The Bible says in verse number 12, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. So we now we have two groups of people that are religious crowds. Three years after this woman was spared, her life was spared, when the conscience got a hold of their hearts and said, no, I'm not doing that. Okay, three years later, likely maybe some of the same people. We have now the scribes, we have the Pharisees, the elders and the scribes. This is in Jerusalem, likely the same people. They called him and they brought him to council. This is Stephen. He's the first deacon in the New Testament church. Not the only deacon, but one of the first deacons. And so he's about to preach his first recorded message, which will be his last recorded message in chapter 8. And they're going to stone him. And so we have now present the elders, the scribes. He addresses the council. You'll find in verse uh, number one of chapter seven. Now look at verse 54 for time's sake. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. You know what happened? They heard truth and it cut them deep in the heart, the conscience. The truth activated the conscience. Holy Spirit now is working. And here's what they do. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, I believe it's more of a, a verbal language, yelling at him, screaming at him. What? Something's happening in their heart. And now they're screaming at the one that brings them truth. But he, verse number 56, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, uh, this is the only, one of the few examples in the Bible that man, while they're in the physical world, are able to see the spiritual world right before they die. Amen? And he doesn't write a book about it either. He just, <laughs> all right? He sees heaven. And said, behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. So now we have a, we have a people, civilized, educated, scribes, priests, the council, that are screaming and yelling at him and stopping their ears. We don't want to hear this anymore. What's happening? Conscience is being activated by truth. It's doing something that nothing else can do. It's, it's responding to that. And let me just say this while I'm here. When people hate anyone that agrees with their conscience, 
they'll attempt to silence that voice. Homosexuality is an abomination to God. Transgender movement distorting all of God's foundations of humanity. Abortion, adultery, murder, lying, stealing, which is becoming very commonplace today. And the more someone disobeys their conscience, the less that conscience is activated. But yet the more that people can speak truth, the more that conscience can be activated. But when they hate the person that agrees with their conscience, they want to stop the voice of the one that's speaking truth because it's doing something that's not convenient in their heart. Are you all catching this? So when a Christian speaks truth in a world right now that is a free fall of truth, a cliff to the culture, they'll say they're just weird. Those Christians are out of touch. They're just strange. Just let them go into their four walls and do the thing they do with that little book they call the Bible. But don't mess with us. You're just weird people because... You talk about a heaven. You talk about someone that died in Jerusalem and you still worship him. Just do your thing, but just leave us out of it. You're just weird. That's one approach to the voice of the believer. But when Christians begin to speak truth that disagrees with the culture, the culture may not like it. But at least... On August 30th, or excuse me, July 30th, 2023, we still have freedom of speech, right? So they lift their lips and they say, well, just let them speak what they want to speak, but we're just going to have to deal with it because they have freedom of speech, which is a privilege in America. But let me present to you a bigger problem. When Christians speak truth, truth, that in the person that has the conscience that's bothering them because of their sin. And in that opinion, it causes them anxiety. It causes them mental harm. It causes, in some cases, in their opinion, for them to take their own lives, which obviously we are not in agreement with. But when they get to that place where they can culturally t- take a group of people that call themselves Christians and say, stop speaking truth. Because you're speaking truth that hurts our conscience. They won't say that. So let's silence the church. It's not about really even silencing the church. As Aaron Bear said from the Christian Council in Columbus, it's about Eliminating the church. So, we have a cultural shift in conscience. And I believe in three years, these same people that had a conscience said, you know what, I'm going home with my rock. To when they were cut to the heart, they ran upon him, gnashing at him with with their teeth, stopping their ears. It changed. You all with me? It changed. They, they, They didn't look at that and say, he's seeing angels. 
He's seeing heaven. He's seeing someone called Jesus staying at the right hand. You know what? I'm going home. No! Let's kill him. And you'll find the very next verse. I'm not going to ask you to go there, but look at verse number... Uh, uh, and you'll find here uh, verse number... Well, I'm, I'm not. That's another whole lesson. Let me, I'll, I'll digress if I do that. So what do we do? Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. It's important, every one of us, saved or lost, listen... Every believer today needs always to respond in obedience to your conscience. If the conscience is in agreement with the word of God. You realize this, our conscience can be defiled and become weak. Okay, and I'm going to be very transparent. I may even give you some thoughts next week. There's areas in my life I have a weak conscience. I, I just do. A weak conscience. It's not a bad thing. And some good people here have weak consciences. And uh, I, I just, there's some things in my life I don't allow. I, I don't say the word, I'm going to use, use the word that some perhaps of you don't have a, a problem with. But it's, for me, it's a problem. The word gosh. I don't say the word gosh. Why? Because it sounds too much like God. And I don't want to use the word God in a slang word. You know with me? That may be a weak conscience. I don't drink alcohol at all. I don't sip it. I don't have it in my home. That stuff nearly destroyed my life. I don't want it. Well, Christian liberty, I think we ought to be able to have a little sip here and there. Jesus drank wine. Okay, all that. You can build your whole case there. But watch this. I'm not drinking it. Well, you got a weak conscience. I am. I go a laundry list of things. I'm saying today, this morning, ladies and gentlemen, what we need to do, watch this, what we need to do is get the conscience that God gives us, that wonderful gift, to be in agreement with the word of God. Are you all here? But when I disobey the word of God, the conscience becomes, and I'll talk about this later, seared, defiled. It becomes messed up to where it's no longer giving you the right signal. And another interesting sub-point here while I'm just here is that it's amazing how powerful the voice of a culture can be to the conscience of man. You know, with this, our kids, they know what the Bible says, but on TikTok, thousands of people say on TikTok that this is what it says, or this is what we should do. And groupthink becomes almost the, the, the locomotive for the conscience of a culture. That's why I think Nicodemus met Jesus alone at night. He was by himself. Why? He had to get away from groupthink. Who is this guy? Who is this Messiah? Why? Because it was affecting the way he thought. And he knew something wasn't right. Lynn, Lynn and I were talking about this this morning. We believe Gamaliel also may have gotten saved. Why? Because they were doing something against their conscience. When Paul was breathing out threatenings against the church, it said, yet, Paul, breathing out threatenings against the church. What did he do that for? In spite of something. Conscience. Something's not right about this. So I think the culture can affect the conscience of a culture. And so it's very important that God's people see the cultural shift. It's important that we respond to truth with obedience, Proverbs 29, 29 says, He that is being often reproved and hardeneth his neck. 
shall suddenly be destroyed. Stay close. Number two, real quick, and I'm almost done. We'll get the kids back in here in three minutes. Number two, it is also important that we speak truth to others and to ourselves. That's why I always say, guys, ladies, you need to be reading your Bible every day. Why? It's helping your conscience. <laughs> it's, 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 it's feeding the conscience. It's actually helping you to stay true to the Word of God. The conscience, reading the Bible, speaking the Word of God to you. Our kids are going to come in here, and you should stay and listen to this. Our kids are going to quote an entire chapter of the Bible. Do you realize the dividends that's going to pay for them later in life? When they, when they quote the Bible, Psalm 27, and they know those verses, and those verses are folded into their heart and their minds, when the darkest time of their life comes, man, those verses are going to come up. And they're speaking that truth to that conscience. And then number three, we need to get alone with God and get alone with your own heart. Get alone with God and your heart. What do you mean by that? Psalm chapter 77. David wrote this, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remember God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. <laughs> Selah. Thou holdest my eyes waking. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old and the years of the ancient times. And then it says in verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. And my spirit made diligent search. Um, turn off the music. Turn off the devices. Go for a walk. Turn off Fox News, CNN, and all the other stuff we get distracted from. And get alone with God. Get alone with yourself. Why? Because God gives that conscience. It can be messed up. It can be, and again, I don't understand everything about this thing. I don't. But what I'm hearing here, I know in every case, you'll find it was activated by truth. So we speak truth to ourselves. Speak truth in love to others. Get alone with God. Spend time with the Lord. Quiet time. And that's something, if I ask the average young person here, do you have quiet time with the Lord every day? Well, once in a while, we're distracted by video games, videos, TikTok, Instagram, and a host of other things that cloud and pervert and change our conscience. It affects us. With heads bowed and eyes closed.